0: Well, hello, we are back with one of our interview episodes and we've got Kelly Fullerton today. So hi, Kelly. Hi. So Kelly's an experienced primary teacher who we love. We do. We do. (laughs) She's completed further training in nutrition and feeding therapy and she's combined her education and nutrition knowledge to cultivate curious conversations about food with school communities. Kelly advocates for positive and developmentally appropriate learning experiences about food, which is, that's our, we that's love That's our bag. That's our jam. <laughs> She's worked with various community stakeholders in Australia and abroad, schools and other organisations to advise on safe approaches to nutrition education, create curriculum resources as well as teacher and health professional support materials and professional learning. Kelly currently works as a physical education teacher in Melbourne's North. So welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. So um, we're going to start as we do start um, all of our podcast episodes. What is the best thing that you have eaten this week? Um, I'm going to
2: say blood oranges.
1: Oh, yeah, Nice. Yeah.
2: And it's probably because I don't always have them and they're on special. (laughs) So (laughs) they're available and I walked into my market and saw them and went, oh, that's something different I can just add to what I'm already eating and yeah. i do like an, a good orange so i was like okay this is you know the next step so yeah
1: and yeah. i think it's so funny that they're in well in australia um in season just around halloween um because so mm. often they're like marketers like a halloween thing because they're like bleeding and they are which is weird as but I love yeah them.
2: that's right and yeah
1: i know they're such a they are a great color and
0: yeah. you're right i love a good orange as well
1: yeah yeah that's my favorite in winter I don't think they tend to go to that. You know how sometimes oranges go like they're like too sweet and they miss, they don't have the zing, they don't have the tang. Mm, I've never had a blood yeah. orange that didn't have that full zesty zingy yes. thing going on. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. That is really cool. So we think you're great. <laughs> Thank, <Okay>. you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. We're gonna try just not to see you just went gushy about all the great stuff. <laughs> um but what I thought it might be cool to start with um if if you can sort of Give us a bit of an idea about your work um, as a teacher with a background in dietetics um, and where sort of that sort of non-diet stuff fits in with that. Mm. How did you get to
2: where you are? Um, I started with disordered eating, to be honest. <laughs> that's um, people. <laughs> often that's probably the path that many, you know, nutrition and dietetic professionals follow. Um, and it probably started with that um obsession with food Mm. and thinking too much about food and um probably an awful um exercise regime as well combined and um i was uh training for a marathon kind of got into all of that you know nutrition side of it obviously to fuel myself but obviously there's also another underlying Mm. um reason behind that which i won't go into but um that kind of started, I think, the slow, steady um, kind of dive into nutrition. Mm-hmm. And then in 2015, that was 2015, and then um, I took a year off teaching and took all of my long service leave because I hadn't taken any. And thought, oh my goodness, I've got a whole year. What am I going to do with my life for this whole year? And how am I going to feel, you know, because I I was a very um probably dedicated teacher and really hardworking and um love love learning and love education. So um I thought, well, why not just do some more learning while you're sitting at home? Time off. <laughs> Time off. Let's just. And so I started researching and looking at other courses I could do and wondering what else I could possibly do. Um, and nutrition came up. And so I went to like an open session at Deakin University and decided, okay, I'm going to dip my toes in and try to do a grad cert of human nutrition.
1: Ooh.
2: And. Um, it was all online and i found that really difficult at first because I, no contact with you know the world as uh, being isolated in that sense but you've yeah, got I've to know being lots of in a team
1: environment yeah because it's often so much leaning on each other and support
2: yeah but i think that we kind of worked that around
1: worked around that with each other um
2: all of us working online we ended up making groups on facebook and things like that so it made it a whole lot easier and then um yeah, like in that in that time I really enjoyed, I loved lifespan nutrition and mm-hmm. I fell in love with that and I kind of thought I wouldn't be working in the children's space, I would like to work with adults a little bit more and then um, thought I'm just going to quit teaching <laughs> and really jump ship and then thought I'll just do emergency teaching and try and start a business and see where I go with it. And I was pretty lucky to um, early enough kind of, probably the end of my grad cert in 2016, I think I got added or a friend recommended the Mindful Dietitian page on Facebook wow. and the whole non-diet, non-diet space kind of thing. And once I dived into that and started learning a bit more about that, I was very conflicted because coming from food rule, food-based, you know, rules, um, yep. Yeah, it was very difficult and (laughs) somehow I think I had enough skills within myself to kind of unpack that and work through it and detangle myself from it. Mm. Yeah, it took a long time, a long time. Um, And then uh, towards the end of 2016, my school that I was working with asked me to come in and do some stuff with kids. So the big eye opener was when I went into um, one of the grades, I think it was a grade four classroom and took in a whole lot of food and talked about it and must have talked about grainy breads being good for your body and as I was walking out of the classroom after I packed up this little boy approached me and said do I have to eat that bread and I was like oh well if you want to you can but you know if you want to try it get mum or dad to try and buy it but is that the one I really have to eat all the time and he was really distressed by Mm. what I what he thought I said or what I might have actually said I don't even know really but I perceived it as oh, why doesn't he get what I said? Like, why doesn't he understand what I said? That just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think walking away from that situation and really reflecting on that, was like, okay, so how do I present this information and... What do I need to do to get kids to understand to have a healthy diet? So it was still that kind of get kids to yeah, understand yeah. that, you know, make healthy choices. Um, yeah, make those healthy choices and influence their parents and and that kind of thing. And then um, just started slowly thinking back or oh, diving into the um, the child development space because mm-hmm. when I was when I did my teaching degree, I majored in um, psychology. And so we had a whole unit on um, child development and psychology. So I loved that space and always thought that I'd probably go into psychology as well at some point as an off-branch of teaching um, and then just dived back into that area and just started doing more reading and then trying to find nutrition education research that matched it and found so much um online that I could sort of grasp some things and then connect them to the curriculum knowledge that I had and my training and sort of combined and meshed it all together and um and I think I've kind of unpacked my journey um like openly online so people can see my journey as well you know over time how I have changed from being obsessed about the food that I'm eating and promoting that to let's not worry about the food that I'm eating and everybody else is eating let's look at how we can um Curate our food environment and
1: um, embrace food literacy in different ways. Yeah, cool. I really like how you talk about um, development developmentally appropriate um, learning experiences because I'm always quite, and I'm sure there's amazing stuff happening, um, but I'm always quite shocked when we're going to pick on primary teachers because my husband's a primary teacher, Um, and (laughs) when. People who I'm sure are taught developmental stages and about, a con- about concrete mm-hmm. thinking. Yeah. yeah. What age you have to be before you can sort of be thinking like into the future and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And then teach nutrition, teach, teach everything else with that understanding, teach everything mm-hmm. else with that sort of understanding of what's developmentally appropriate. And then once it comes to nutrition of food, all of a sudden these abstract concepts and black and white thinking and all this sort of values stuff gets taught just fact and it's just like, I don't understand. Um, So you obviously had an inkling Mm. early on when you were sort of trying to bring the nutrition and the developmental stages stuff together. But why do you think it is that um, it's really easy to forget about developmental stages when we're talking about nutrition?
2: I think that because the professional learning that we're delivered in schools is very much around literacy and numeracy, and especially literacy, that's the big push and that's where the funding goes. So um, I think that the health component is might be left to just the, the one PE teacher or the health teacher um, or the teacher that has that passion to go off and then research that and then trying to bring that into a, a classroom or into a, a school, you know, and change policy is really, really challenging. Um, I just
1: don't think there's enough um, emphasis on it out there. Right. So, you've got these outcomes you've got to meet, you've got to teach this sort of stuff. And so, mm-hmm. what is, is, I guess, seems easy on the surface with limited yeah. time, we'll do that for getting, hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and counting cubes of sugar and putting a picture up of how much sugar's in this is really going to be quite disconnected for the kids. Yeah.
2: And I think that um, our kind of, policy development in health has always been this very top-down approach just tell people and give them knowledge and then they'll just change yeah. their behavior because <laughs> okay. that's going to work yeah. hey you know you <laughs> better they'll do better just yeah <laughs> repeat it in the
0: moment and louder
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that's right so I think that um
1: yeah okay yeah, so that's like- really impeded people's learning in that sense gotcha so that's yeah. sort of not connecting and I think this happens in dietetics all the time like it's just been too long um, of the field of dietetics not talking to the field of psychology mm. like, and so there's so much we know about human behavior and behavior change but and forgetting that eating is behavior mm. <laughs> not just information and science like dietetics sitting in science psychology over here and I guess education is its own thing again
2: yeah, I think that that multidisciplinary approach is probably the most powerful and um, some areas have got on board with that um, in some schools and some haven't. So um, I'm really lucky with my school. We have two speeches on oh. site as well. So we have lots of conversations. We have um, learning diversity leaders. We have uh, mental health, well-being, you know, support staff. Um, we have a community hub. So we have... Um, lots of services that we we talk about and we utilise to try and support the community. So I think that schools need to be a hub like that. They need to have an on-site psych, an on-site speech, an OT. You know, we we do have contact with OTs as well. So, yeah, bring it all together and have, like, we've got to have these really um, robust conversations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: The, out, the intended outcome is that, child learns to eat healthy rather than it's like the process of where does it come from and what does it go with and how you know like
1: the exploration
0: Mm.
1: I wonder if that's a cultural thing so like culturally food has become so functional um like get the food right and then everything sort fall into place and you just need the right information and everything will fall into place yeah we've kind of forgotten that there's a whole lot more to it. Um, And particularly for kids, it's a a process. And I remember, you know, working when I work with um, people with like little kids and toddlers and dinners are a nightmare and they're awful. Um, Often so much of that's because like dinners become a job to get done. Um, I've got to fill up your tummy. So you go to bed and so you sleep. Hopefully through the night, mm. um, that there's all this pressure happening, and so any idea of oh no, this is just another opportunity for learning, and the parent's job is done once the food is sort of provided in a sort of regular. You know, we won't do mm. it. So I think again, do you think that sort of it's gone too outcome focused instead of process? Purpose. Yeah, yeah, and it's not relational anymore. It's not about the relationship
2: with food. It's about you know, like you said, the function of nutrients in the body and getting the food into them. And I think also the the health curriculum actually has in regards to food and nutrition. There's twelve focused learning areas that are supposed to be covered over the the, oh, that's the, the all that you know the um the curriculum from prep to year ten basically, and um food and nutrition is one of those. one of those it's just a slither so it's so small even though we're eating every day and we're we're immersed in some kind of food environment at school every day it's and it's very embedded in our everyday life it's also just a tiny element of our teaching and learning so that has an impact too because if you've got a short amount of time to fit in a whole lot of content then you will we'll be drawing upon resources that might not be so helpful, that mate. you think are helpful. Um, you bring your own values and your own, you know, um, eating experience and ways of eating to that, you know, experience uh, with the kids. So, um, and so you see yourself quite- as that expert as well. So,
1: <laughs> there's no more time for thinking outside the box. Yeah. We brought that up a couple of times how, like in high school, it's like so pretty much everyone, kids, seems to be ended up having to watch. That sugar film um mm. and like for you, know, you we don't have to on this podcast say why we think that's a bad idea mm. um if you're listening you know yeah that's right uh but you know i do have some compassion for the teachers Of that's what's in that's what's on their program from their lens this is good this is good to teach kids because they're kids eating too much sugar and this is you know tell them why they should tell them why they should and yeah they and you think yourself as
0: a A practitioner working like one on one with someone in a heightened and stressful situation, you often do um, unthinkingly or unconsciously drop back into the didactic telling Mm. because you're just like panic mode. So I can imagine, you know, oh gosh, I've got to get through this content. I don't know about this. Like, tell the kids. And yeah. And then you get that one kid or two kids that go oh oh if I don't do it exactly like she said so I'm going to get sick mm. I have to eat that thing if I don't eat that I'm not gonna be healthy and then yeah. the conversations that they've been exposed to home and, and everywhere else what's healthy and what's unhealthy. So yeah really tricky.
2: Yeah it is super tricky and I think that um teachers also have to enact policy so we have to in our curriculum, it does talk about the Australian dietary guidelines. And yeah. yes, it's a population model, but it should be, yes, that's the evidence, but how do we translate that information in an age-appropriate way? Um I think that that's where we really They're make it
0: prevention of like overweight and obesity. That's their whole mm. yes.
2: But there are some really good elements to it. So when I've read through it, there's some beautiful elements about, you know, eating for enjoyment and the sensory experience mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But people are not reading that part. They're just looking at that, that, the plate image. Yes. And then
1: mm-hmm. but because they don't have time yeah. to read the
2: whole document, the document is actually like it's quite substantial mm-hmm. and there is yeah. some really good gold gems in there. Mm-hmm. And if we could pull those gems out and use those alongside it, <laughs> then we've got yeah. some really creative transformative learning
1: yeah Um,
0: have you got a is there a connection a network of you disruptive teachers (laughs) changing education policy and curriculums out there um
2: I really don't know
0: to be honest (laughs) Um, like that I know there's sort of a number of dietitians sort of doing stuff with schools but they're sort of doing it with like one or two schools yeah. And there's, and there's you and you're out there, you know, doing like you're, is anyone in the department changing things from inside?
2: There are people that reach out to me um, okay. in departments and ask questions. Mm. Um, I've had a few people from universities to say, how do we change our courses? What what okay. what do we need to do right. um, to change the, our courses and what we're teaching? Um I'm going to be part of a the National Eating Disorder Strategy, um, one of the uh, advisory groups.
1: Oh, so
2: that's coming up soon. Um, later, I think then. it's... <laughs> yeah, so it's just a matter of, I think, putting that information out there. And also, like, um, while teachers are policy enactors, um, policy is done to teachers, but it's also done by teachers. So we need to be able to see ourselves um kind of flip that and be able to work backwards and yeah. have those conversations, you know, collegially, Absolutely. um, and then move it up through the department and, you know, the higher bodies. Um, and then that way we can actually implement change. It's not, yeah, it's not sure just one might, voice, okay. it's multiple conversations with multiple stakeholders.
1: Yeah, because I even note that um I had a few conversations with the director of the preschool when my kids were at. Um, because they had like rules about what was allowed to come to school, and like I was very naughty. I sent a chocolate milk popper one day and got mm. sent home. Um, and I have like again, that's they're following the policy, um, mm. doing what they need to do to, to the help. letter, which and, is unfortunate. Very unfortunate. <laughs> very unfortunate. Um, so I kind of like, I get it. They just need to tick their boxes, and this is something they are told to do. And it takes a lot of probably, I guess, flexibility, thinking and nuance and like what you were saying about finding the gold, like there probably are better ways to do it than here's your worksheet, colouring the good foods with a tick and do a big cross on the bad foods, Mm. stuff that ended up. And home. I don't
2: I don't think people realise the underlying shame and guilt that comes from those things. They think that they're doing a really good thing. And, like, oh, I thought I was doing a really good thing back when I started. Um, and I really, to be honest, thinking back in my whole teaching career, I've only got one vivid memory of doing food education. Right. And that's in 28 years of teaching as well. Like, okay. I remember I think I had a grade 3, 4 class because I can visualise the classroom for some reason and... We were doing um, I might have done the good old healthy pyramid. We might have cut up a whole lot of stuff and stuck it into it. Um but that's my only memory of it, but I really can't remember what I taught in yeah, that but- at all. It might, we might have just looked at the digestive system or something and how food you know goes through and digests. But
1: instead um, of Harold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have that in Victoria? Do you have Harold? Yes, health? we do
2: have Harold. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, call them help. Yeah, yeah, I've had teachers challenge um, because of teachers have worked with me. Mm. um when Harold has come in, they've um, kind of just said, oh, we don't talk about food like that or we don't oh, teach no. it that way. So um at least we've got other people planting that seed as well. I think it's a lot of seed planting and seeing where it sprouts.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I had a really bit of a good news story this week. um, my sister-in-law, I don't think she'll mind me telling you this. She sent me a photo of um, something that come home from her little boy's um, preschool. And the top was all bodies are good bodies. And then they had to draw a picture of themselves. And then after I love my and he'd written arms um, so and he'd drawn this little picture of himself with his arms. Um, and I was just like,
0: oh,
1: that's, that's so nice. Because, you know, particularly when you're used to things coming home, which, mm. you know, I can certainly had the. Tick the, yes. tick the good food, cross the bad food kind of worksheet coming home and going, oh, oh, you've been teaching my children what? Um, I was just like, oh, that's really nice. And nothing, all bodies are good bodies is, is like I guess it's very much a phrase that we hear a lot in the non-diet spaces. So yeah. I'm like,
0: someone's heard that somewhere.
1: Um, and this little worksheet was very nice. That was a very cute drawing. And it was a very cute drawing.
0: Slightly, slightly Mr. Tickle type yeah.
2: of. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, I love it when kids do stuff like that because it's just, it really empowers them. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. that's sort of how they start out. That's how they think.
0: Like I I've, I've got three kids. And I, you know, that they how excited they are by themselves when they're really little. And they're just amazed at
1: when like, they learn that they can oh, they can hold or let go of something. Yeah. Like, what? That's that's my hand.
0: <laughs> they're amazed by them. And then they like just like look at themselves, you know, in the mirror and they're just so in love with their reflection. You're yeah. like, oh, long may this last. Oh and my- there's that
1: beautiful little song, um. I have to find it and pop it in the show notes that I love my body. Oh, yes. Like something to my toes. Oh, it's so cute. Yes. My eyes, my mouth, Mother my nose. Mother some... moon or something. Mother moon maybe. mama moon. Okay. Like, if kids can have this little Did she... I love my something when I look into the mirror. It's You'll note so that I'm not seeing...
0: <laughs> I'm the of the stand at the back and just mouth the yes. words. <laughs>
2: anyway there's always a few of those
1: (laughs) like I've heard you know like yeah it's sort of being sung in preschools and like whining out that like if that can be the internal voice that kids have which is that it's actually okay to just think your body's amazing for what it does and for that to stick with them like it's just the cutest thing Um, I think those spontaneous just reflecting on just those spontaneous conversations
2: that I probably have with students probably the most powerful that I walk away from like just last week we were doing a gardening activity and I had my grade one twos and we I had to take them outside to pick the broad beans. And so they were in the front of the school. So as you drive in, there's a big veggie garden. So you can actually just drive in, pick some veggies, throw them in your car and take them home. And the um children that I was working with, I was trying to show them how to pick it because they got very keen just to rip them off and rip the whole branch with it, kind of thing. I'm like, no, 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 we've got to like get down to the bottom, it's got to be about this size, and we're gonna twist it and pull it off, you know. Um and here's the bucket we'll put it in the bucket and no, like, but there's no mice. they're camouflage. You've got to actually go through the bush and we've actually got to get into the bushes. And we were actually in the garden through the bushes, working through oh, yeah. and finding them. And just their conversation was like it was just beautiful. They're like, oh, this smells so beautiful. Can we eat one? I'm like well, we're gonna eat one later. We're not gonna eat them now because we'll start eating them. And we won't get any back into the, the class. So we'll share them later on. But um, yeah, just those little things, like just spontaneous moments. A little boy yesterday came up to me and wanted me to smell a dip that he had but he he just basically just shoved it under my my nose and I was talking to someone else and I kind of went oh what's that what are you doing I said you need to ask for permission you can't just throw something under somebody's nose I'm just saying I don't like that you know and I said well what is it and he's like you know it's chutney and I'm like oh it doesn't look like chutney Um, and he kept telling me it was chutney and I said oh I think it's got um I can't remember. I think it's got cumin in it. It goes yes, it's got cumin in it. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, I don't know what else. And then he told me what it was. But, um, just those little conversations and um, just Let giving get them excited you. by food
1: and that's right. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Really cool. Um, Yeah, and then choosing what they're eating from their lunchbox and not worrying about which order they're eating it in things like that. Our kids love having a picnic on the floor, like in the classroom. They put
1: everything, roll everything out, and they just grab whatever they want to eat. So... Um, so what do you think it is, and I don't know if it's an inherently to like teacher thing, so what do you think it is that has led to that sort of lunchbox policing or teachers feeling that it is their responsibility? I think, again, they they're really well-intentioned yeah. their responsibility to be telling kids what order to eat things in or that they shouldn't be eating something that's literally in their lunchbox, like the mm. parents are saying, that's fine, I put it in the lunchbox. What, what, like, again, is it that they're feeling their policy, they're feeling pressure that they should be doing it, are parents asking them to do it, some parents and other parents going, Get your nose out of my kids' Like it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. What what yeah, what's going on with feeling that responsibility to, to do that? I think that it's probably a combination of pressure
2: from parents, mm-hmm. expecting that their children finish everything in the lunchbox. Um, that's really often on the teacher's end, that's pretty challenging because they'll often get that. Um, why isn't my child eating? Um, and I think that that's there's a combination of reasons for that. Number one is they don't want to eat because they want to go and play. That's yeah. the most important thing in their life. <laughs> their friends are playing outside. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and maybe the timing of our lunch, like our lunch hours are completely out of whack. So we ne- we should flip the play first, then eat. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, heavy work on the body will calm them and help them engage their senses a bit better to eat. So, they'll be ready to eat when they after they've been running around doing heavy work on their body so um yeah and it, yeah and also I uh, a school that I went um did not incursion and actually were telling me about they used to have it before and then they changed it over to um, eating after after they played mm-hmm. and they said it stopped a lot of our injuries on the yard so kids like hurting themselves and things like that um and uh-huh. complaints and and you know, tattletales at the end of playtime and all the problems that happen, because sometimes our playtimes are a little bit too long as well. So um sometimes there's a happy point. You kind of go in that last five minutes, we've got to be watching out for all of these kinds of behaviors. And, and <laughs> how do we transition the kids back into the classroom in the safest and um easiest way so that we don't have conflict? Because that's where it happens. Like they get they get tired and yeah. they're done with each other, and then as we go back in the classroom, we're dealing with all the problems,
1: you know. I was just thinking, like, oh, how would you get the kids from playing back to sitting to eat? I'm like, I'll just sit with a bell.
2: <laughs> that's right. And they do. They just yeah, come in and they bell just bell sit. Bell.
1: There. Yeah, that's right. The way the kids are like, hang on a minute, it's not that hard. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it'd be really hard to, like, get them all back. I'm like, no, you just ring the bell. That's yeah. and
2: expectation.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also there's things
2: like there's factors like um, kids will, like, we <laughs> Some schools will have rules about which areas you can eat, where you can't eat. And well, if they want to play in the area where they can't eat, they're not going to bring their food with them. Yeah, and exactly. if they shove it in their pocket, they'll forget about it. They'll eat part I'll of it, and then the rest falls out and it's everywhere. We rubbish is. on the yard. So this—it's just so complex.
1: It's not. Yeah. Just, it's not an easy fix. And, and I it's think a big boundaries. So I don't know, like a um a school where they used to do sort of a um separated areas and sit down for I think it was 10 minutes at the beginning of of lunch was we'll sit down and eating time you didn't have to eat but this was sitting down I was like this is this is, was so good for my kids who yeah they just would run around. Um and then with a change of uh, leadership to a more of a sort of I guess a child led free, free way of thinking it was just like no we're not doing that we'll just let kids sort it out for themselves. And again I think it's not getting yeah. developmental That's- stages. Like the parents have to do the all well, the caregivers have to do the what, where when um mm. and the kids do the how much if any, because they're just they they can't seem to feel they're so concrete they'd be like i'd rather do that right now and i don't care that i'm going to be feral this afternoon because i'm but what, what is this afternoon oh, what? oh yeah <laughs> so i think that's the other thing of like people often feel like they don't want sort to of impose structures on kids but that's what they need mm. um, but again i'm thinking about some of my, the kids i've worked with who have really low appetites, possibly like you know adhd medication or something like that um where if they do have that 10 minutes and then they have their up and go or whatever the one little thing they'll get through and then run around for 40 minutes it's burned off before they go back into the classroom so yeah it'll be better for them to flip it um because then when they are sitting in classroom they're not realizing that they're starving hungry because they're
2: yeah and the diversity we have in classrooms like you said students with you know whether they've got trauma, whether they've got a disability, whether they've, you know, got a sensory processing issue, all of those things, all of those factors come into play. And I think on the teacher's part, um, the whole lunchbox policing as well has come from, like, care and nurturing, but in the sense of their own values and their own generalisations and things that they might have read like, oh, well, if kids are eating all of this stuff, they're not going to learn. And um, (laughs) this is so... Yeah. So, and we, you know, we, we have the, the, um, we can look in the lunchbox and see what they've got. So, you know, we see all the food. So, and then you, you can make those generalizations and then associate them with the behavior of that child, yes. you know, and disregard all the other things that are happening in that child's life, you know, um, um, and put it down to, well, if they change their diet, it's going to fix
1: everything. So I, I really, think it's, yeah. Okay at a school and getting a bit of pushback on the, like if it's in the lunchbox, the parents have thought it's okay. And so, you know, let's not please, let's do like the what, where, when and let the kids decide on that. A lot, a lot of pushback um, from a couple of staff members. Um, but then afterwards, a sub who had a child with a disability said, thank you so much. Um, we had so many problems because we'd have to put this really high energy stuff in my daughter's um, thing because she was really struggling with um, maintaining her growth and, and eating enough. And we just got so much judgment for it. Um, mm. And it's like, We've just got to. Teachers can't know everything. Um, yeah, I guess opening up the door that there might be more going on for that for that kid. And this is one meal, or maybe two. Like it was morning. If it's morning tea as well, mm. this might be two meals. And so families might be like, "I'm going to put all the easy stuff in here. Stuff that's going to you're going to. It appeals to you. It's going to be delicious. Yep. And we'll sort out. We'll balance, do that nutrition at dinner at home, or <laughs> breakfast, or on the weekend, or um. It's yeah, so yeah, I do, I have a lot. I do have a lot of empathy because it would be really tricky that like, that many kids. I think
0: too. Like that. teachers have got to walk such a such a tricky line with you. The expectation on teachers from parents to do everything, or be, or maybe it's not even individual parents, but our culture. Oh,
1: that, why are kids learning that in school? Why school are kids learn in school? Yeah.
0: About everything that they are actually learning school. In school. needs to sort that out. We have <laughs> to get teachers on to the, like, oh, my mm. goodness,
1: you've got no time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. There's that's right. We're that.
2: That's that's a whole policy enactment thing, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. This is happening in our world.
1: We need to teach that at school. And there's why there's those 12 different things in that curriculum. We've got to do road safety. We've got to do alcohol. We've got to do smoking. We've got to do drugs. We've got to do nutrition. We've got to do like a yep. all the problems. Well, every and I think it's because every, every, not everyone, but the majority of kids go to school. And so it feels like from a policy point of view, this is where we get them. Yeah. Um, so what's going at home. This is where we can get them. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, it probably is, has limited impact when all that stuff is. Probably like giving
0: home. nutrition education at a hospital bedside. Yeah. you just in here for having a car accident. <laughs> oh, notice you high cholesterol. Tell me about the size of steak you eat. What, what? <laughs> you're joking me, right? Get out. Ah, <laughs> oh, I know. Like, yeah, that the I think too. Like, as a, from a parent perspective, like seeing with like you know, kids come through like well, childcare and then pre K and kindy and those early years, and it's all sort of you know so much is play based and like play directed, and then it's like immediately stops. Flips <laughs> mm-hmm. completely. It's like. They're still
2: kids as they Mm. get older. Um,
0: Oh, yes.
2: And I see different behaviours in classrooms. Like I saw some kids one day pretending they were um, being hairdressers and there were a couple of boys in grade five and six. I'm like, they're still at that play-based yeah. You know, like they're 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 role-playing being a hairdresser, they had I think yeah. they had a chip packet and they're pretending it was like a, a razor, like you know, cutting someone's hair, like mucking around. But it was like they were just sitting there quietly and just going, yeah, go around here and do this and do this. But mm-hmm. you know, like those little situations where we've got to remember that they huh. are kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned sort of like you know, planting seeds um all around. Um, how do you think sort of like I guess parents who have this sort of broader awareness of sort of risk and concern and all that sort of stuff um and i guess us as dietitians with you know who are also parents with kids in well for me primary school oh in high school now Forgot about yeah. that um how can we support teachers like to i guess think a little bit differently or if we see something that we're really worried about or something we think is like just overtly harmful what well, like well have you got any tips on what's a good way to approach
2: i think or-
1: um I've ha- I've had
2: lots of people approach me about this, and especially health professionals, when their child comes home with that homework. Um, oh, that yeah, they, well,
0: yeah, I <laughs> like it and you get tagged in everything. No, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't have an opinion.
2: Yeah, and I've um, I'm big I'm big on don't send the long email with all the research. Mm-hmm. Make an appointment and have a face to face conversation if you can. I think there's so much more power in that. Um, Don't go the generic online letter that you find that says, you know, my child, you know, needs to learn about food and um, in a safe and positive way that people don't know what that means. They have no idea what that means. Yes. So I think that we need to be having these conversations and saying, oh, so um, what is actually happening? Like how are they learning about this? Um, and let them know your concerns. Say, I don't feel like this is a safe way to learn about food because my child needs high energy foods mm-hmm. um, because of this medical condition or whatever it is. um yeah, I think you have to, you really have to advocate and go in with an open mind and don't go in with the research and telling them what they should be teaching because we have to follow policy. We have to follow curriculum. Um, I think, yeah, supporting teachers is probably most important in that, um, because they only know what they know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and like sometimes it's the, the first Google search for us. Like it just depends on if we're limited with time. If we're teaching a, you know, we're teaching especially in um the primary classroom, you're teaching all subjects, yeah. so you're not just teaching just literacy and maths. You're teaching all subjects, so you've got to kind you're a generalist, so you've got to go into lots of different content and and know it and you know and really understand it. So, um, I think it's yeah these careful, considered conversations are probably more powerful than anything else. And then if they're willing, um, offer some suggestions or or handball it to somebody that might know.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Say, oh, I know I follow this person on Instagram or um, I've read this. Um, would you be willing to have a look at it? You know, I think we have to be really careful because the pressure on teachers now is mm-hmm. um, in a teacher shortage as well. and curriculum is ever evolving as well. So if there are problems in the curriculum, as teachers, we can be change makers in that. If things aren't working, we can have those conversations with um our departments and things like that to hopefully and and enact change and and change things eventually. Not that it will change straight away, but yeah. I think um, yeah, it's got to be these multiple, level kind of conversations and curiosity. Um getting teachers to understand that there is a risk sometimes with what we're teaching. Yeah. Um, and there's also some really good positive outcomes about with what we're teaching as well. So it's not just like we're we're always creating some kind of harm. Um, we have to have teachers' backs basically.
0: Uh, it's a hard job. It's a hard <laughs> job. <laughs> my 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 grandmother was a teacher and, and she loved it. Loved it, and I think uh, in this day and age, she would she would be horrified. I think at the the disempowerment um, or the how how bossed around teachers are by everyone. Everyone thinks they know. Mm. So I just yeah, absolutely champion effort <laughs> doing this job.
2: Yeah, and even conversations with school leadership, like even um, asking to have a meeting with the wellbeing coordinator. Mm-hmm. And mm. and letting them know your concerns because then that way it's going to initiate a conversation maybe with leadership in the school. So mm. we've just got to think about different ways of going about it and be gentle and be um, kind. Yeah. Because it's, it's tough. a tough it's a it's a tough road like in in the classroom with multiple personalities and multiple needs and trying to feel, fulfill those needs as best you can. So mm. um, we've got to back teachers and we have to. Um,
1: back ourselves as well nice. yeah so we've been asking so as we get towards the end of our um time one of the last questions we're sort of asking people is like what's your hope for the future and I totally just ripped this off and stole it from Colette Smart's podcast that I was on <laughs> that is the best I love that question so Colette, thank you we'll have you on sometime soon um so I guess what's your I guess hope for um protective nutrition education or for the where where things could go um, with nutrition education in schools
2: um i think we have to shift the focus to more about enjoyment of food and navigating our food environment and maybe ask ourselves more questions um and think about what are more meaningful ways that we can think about food and nutrition education um i think we have to apply our knowledge to real-world real world contexts. So things like um, how is my gut like a garden, you know, rather than let's look at the, the gut microbiome and what it does and all the nutrients we have to have to get that, you know, um, right. kind of reverse it a little bit, you know, go in a different way. So ask those questions and get really curious. Um, it could be things like, you know, how is technology enhanced enhanced nutrition? um we my school did a a whole unit um maybe two years ago and they used that um back in time for dinner and Ah, they 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 had to look at um the different utensils that they used and how they you know helped people in that day and age so then they were actually like implicitly looking at food as well so because the whole guise of it was about food but they Mm -hmm. were looking at technology so um it's been really clever and about how we go about things yeah
1: creative yeah thinking outside the box a little bit so given that you help people with that where can people find resources and where can they find you um, to help them get a bit more creative about their nutrition education
2: Okay, they can find me um, at The Curious Nutritionist on Instagram and Facebook. Um, my website is just the new, uh, thecuriousnutritionist.com.au. Um, resources, I highly recommend the Butterfly Foundation, Butterfly Body Bright. Yep. That is really well-researched and supported by fabulous teacher resources um, and lessons that go with that as well um, and Phenomenon dot com has excellent um food education food literacy resources um i'm trying to think of any others that i know of there's probably there's another one called taste ed it's based in the uk they do have some resources on their website um and there's another one i can't think of what it's called now maybe i think it's taste and learn by csiro but it's quite um it's all about Exploring food and using that sensory approach as well, it does have a, like a little suite of professional development that goes with it too. Cool.
1: And I think that I think that's all free. Yeah, beautiful. So, all, all those in our yep. show notes, so people can find them, um, and hopefully, we'll find you, and um we can all sort of work together to try to just make it a little bit safer, safer, um, but also more fun, right? <laughs> oh, like exactly right. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the focus
0: food fun—it's—it ends up being a bit miserable and boring, doesn't it? it does yeah,
2: yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and having a chat with us. Um, it's been really lovely to hear from you, and um, yeah, we will definitely see you around the probably most likely digital world. <laughs> and we'll keep tagging you in the month. Thank you.
2: you.
0: We just need you to be the top of some sort of empire of impactful teachers across the country. (laughs) Go out. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're like, uh, no, not what I (laughs) said. I'd like to play with the children. No, initially, what I thought
2: I'd be doing, <laughs> no, at no, all. No. But yeah, it's so just kind great. of evolved into this. So that's I'm fantastic. quite I'm grateful that it's like this is the space, and it's my real passion, and I feel like I can make that change. So
1: that's fantastic. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you.
0: All right, brilliant. Bye bye.